as always, it's a blessing to be here. Um, very much feels like home when I come back to Tallahassee. Um, the text for us this evening comes from Philippians chapter 4. Um, and what I'd like to do is, uh, before we actually read the text, is I'd like to go to the Lord in prayer, recognizing that this is the Word of God. We are coming before the Word of God, seeking to be changed by it. And we are not coming above it to, um, to critique it. So let's go to the Lord in prayer before we read the text. Great God in heaven, what a blessing it is to come before you, to know that you have called us into worship, called us into your presence, and that you have made this possible through our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that you would watch over us as we come to worship, that as the psalmist has prayed, that you would watch over the words of my sinful lips and even the meditations of all of our hearts together this evening as we come to worship you, or that these things would be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. For, Lord, you are our strength and our salvation. You are our Redeemer, O Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As I said, the text for us this evening comes from Philippians chapter 4. As you can see there in the bulletin, um, the sermon will cover verses 8 through 9, but I'll read chapter verse 1 all the way up through verse 9. And I'm reading the ESV uh, just for context there. Paul says here, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Yodia and I entreat Sintiki to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women, women, who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And the verses for us this evening, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. As I remind you, this is the word of the Lord. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. If you're using the bulletin and you you saw the uh, title I gave, the title is The Summary of Christian Duty. I should mention here from the outset that this is not my Um, title. This is a title I pulled from a commentator, but I think that it helpfully summarizes what is being covered here by Paul, that we are addressing the summary of Christian duty. What is it that a Christian is to do? And as Paul is closing out his letter to the Philippians, he wants to make it very clear to them what it means to imitate Paul. In chapter 3, verse 17, he said, be imitators of me. And so what does it mean to be an imitator of Paul? What is he saying? Um, 
and we'll flesh that out this evening, but it fits very well with what Pastor Sharp was talking about this morning. What is it that we are to do, Christian? What does it mean to be a uh, believer, to live in a world that doesn't know Christ? And this is our, uh, Paul is here summarizing that Christian duty. Does it mean for us that we are, as Paul has done, to go into imprisonment? That we are to be preaching the gospel? Does it mean that we are to be suffering? Well, it might, but notice the list that Paul gives. Those are not in the list that Paul gives. He's very clear in what he does say and what he doesn't say here in this text. This is the lens through which the church is to view all of life, and the Holy Spirit appears to be listing through Paul a criteria for the sake of their instruction. He closes this section here with two commands that we are to think about these things, and more than that, that we are to then practice these things. Paul is not speaking flowery language or offering suggestions for what the believer is to do in this life, but he's issuing commands for them to follow. These are given in the active, indicative, active, uh, present active imperative which is just the strongest form of the verb that you can have in the Greek. So they are commands that are given to the Philippians here. They are to think on these things, and they are to practice these things. And these two imperatives govern the flow of the text. And as we'll see, um, obedience to these commands demonstrates the extent to which the Philippians trust and obey God. That will be the hymn for us as we close this evening. They flow from what immediately proceeds. One of the reasons I read all the way from verse 1 through verse 9 is so that you can see the indicatives, the truths, the realities that we have in Christ. How do we have peace like a river? Well, that's pulled from Philippians chapter 4, verse 7, that we have these things in Christ. How is it that we can think on things that are honorable, true, just, and pure? It is in Christ. And then it, of course, um, the text here will tell us that we practice these things because the God of peace is with us. It's not a conditional that if you practice these things, God of peace will be with you, but practice these things because you have the God of peace, as Paul has already said in verse 7 of chapter 4. So here we have again this Emmanuel principle that God is with you. And so as Paul has just ended in verse 7 saying God is with you, giving you peace, he ends that again at the end of this section in verse 9 that we have the God of peace with us. So this first main point then that we are to think about these things. The verb means that we are counting, thinking, or calculating. might even be helpful to, to consider this verb meaning to meditate upon, just as the psalmist does in, in Psalm 1. That we are meditating on good things, meditating on pure things and lovely things so that we can orient our life, orient our desires and our cares in this world. That we are thinking about things that are pure and lovely and just. As he begins this section in verse 8, he says, finally, pulling their attention to the importance of what he's saying. I've said all these things in chapters 1 through 3. Now as I get here to 
getting ready to close this letter to you, Philippi. Finally, know these things. He wants to be sure that they know and have specific instructions for their life there in Philippi. And yet also he calls them brothers. Hopefully you noticed at the beginning there in verse 1, the intimacy of the words that Paul is using here. That he calls them his brothers. That he says that he loves them and longs for them. That they are his joy and crown and then calls them his beloved. Paul has done this throughout Philippians, but as he's giving now these commands again to think on these things, he wants them to know that they are beloved. They are his brothers. They are, there is a very intimate relation here. And so Paul is not lording it over them to command them as one in authority. He does not um, pull his apostolic authority to, to lay on them charges that he himself has not kept, but he's recognizing that he is there with them. He is a brother of theirs. And as we know, many of you know, he is in Rome, in prison. Chained to the wall or chained perhaps even to a, a Philippian or to a centurion soldier. So he is thinking on these things as he is meditating there in prison and he's calling them also to think and meditate upon these things. Here he says, in essence, whatever is and if there is any. So we see in his listing here that there is an inclusive exclusivity. He is saying all of these things that are lovely, pure, just, and honorable. And if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, in these categories, these are the things that you are to think about. These are the things that you are to practice. So he is giving us broad categories and yet also giving that exclusivity. There are things that we can think of that do not fit within these categories of pure and just, honorable and praiseworthy. We can think of things that are not commendable or excellent. And yet he is protecting against the very thing that John Pastor Sharp this morning was telling us he's protecting against legalism, but he's also protecting against this antinomianism. We cannot think that there are specific categories like the Pharisees had laid out that you must live in this way. And this is one of the great principles that the OPC has stood on, that we have Christian liberty, that the scripture itself is our guide. In what is true and honorable, pure and just. And yet also we have obligation in speaking against antinomianism to keep the law, to keep the law in these things. We have obligation to seek and think after these things and even to practice these things. We tend to think that antinomianism and legalism are at odds. And if you just wave the other a little bit more, you can overcome the error on one side. But Scripture doesn't teach that. Scripture teaches that grace and understanding true grace, saving grace is what helps to fight against both antinomianism and legalism. If we truly understand what we have in Christ, the peace that we have from the God of peace, that is how we will keep the law and resist against antinomianism 
that we will resist the temptation to forsake the law, that we are freed of the law in Christ. And we don't have any obligation to keep the law. And also to resist that temptation to think that we have to pray a certain number of hours or read our Bible a certain way to be keepers of the law. To notice this blessing that we have in this inclusive exclusivity of these phrases, whatever is and if there is any. He's protecting both against legalism and antinomianism because we know the grace that we have in Christ. And the command then is that we are thinking about these things, meditating on these things. This first imperative calls us to a a cognitive action in spiritual contemplation. That we are actively thinking about things that are good for us. Actively meditating upon things that will improve us as believers. It's not a passive thing that we are to be thinking about. Just hoping that we are carrying ourselves in a way that would tend toward thinking about things that are pure and just and lovely. But we are to actively think and actively seek out meditation upon these things. We know from our own experience that thoughts easily take over our emotions. If we think about something that is impure or unjust too long, if we covet something for too long, meditate upon how it we could gain these things for too long, it will, our emotions will immediately follow after that. We'll desire that thing, and then our passions will follow after that as well. And before we know it, our reason will be giving justification for why we need to have these things. And so Paul is very careful to make sure that we are actively seeking out good things, because in our passivity, we do not seek out good things. We do not, in our own relaxed state, seek out what is good because we are wholly corrupt in our being. And so Paul is charging them to think about things that are good. Meditate. This thinking fuels our desire. Our desires will be checked by meditating upon what is good. When when our thoughts are led astray to thinking about things that are unjust or impure, We can call ourselves back to thinking about things that are pure and just. Because God of peace is here with us. He stands by us. We have these things in our union with Christ, as as verse 7 tells us. They are a limiter, as it were, on our desires, on our thoughts, and our meditations. So Paul gives a pretty exhaustive list of what they are to meditate upon. Things that are just and pure and lovely. Things that are commendable, excellent and worthy of praise. Beloved, how often do we meditate on things that are dishonorable? Or unjust? Or impure? Things that lack loveliness or commendation? We, we think on things that are lacking their excellence and praise. Well, Paul is calling us to resist these things. Calling us to actively think about good things. And to, in our thoughts, seek these things. 
well, where can we find these things? Where can we think on these things? How do we, how do we know what is excellent and pure? What is the standard? Paul has made it clear throughout Philippians, and hopefully as a believer, as I say these things, what is pure, what is lovely, what is just? You immediately think on the word of God. What is truth? When, when Jesus in his great high priestly prayer is praying that the, the spirit, that the father would sanctify them in the truth. What is it that he says is truth? What is it that we are sanctified in? Your word is truth. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. This is the, the very truth that is, I believe, still here on the, the bulletin. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. John seventeen seventeen. When we are thinking on what is lovely, pure, and just, go to Scripture. This is a, a, a charge for us, then, implicitly, to seek out, through Scripture, things that are lovely and just and pure. That scripture then becomes the norm for us in understanding what is good and right and true and holy. And then Paul gives us another command. We would perhaps be content with just thinking about these things. I can understand, Paul, yes, I'm ready to think about these things. But he then tells us in verse 9 that we are to practice these things. That we are to do these things. He says that these are things that they have learned from Paul. Paul has not neglected to teach them these things. Again, I would argue this is him telling them to search again the scriptures. These are things that I have already told you in this letter. Things that you have already received from me as I proclaim to you the Old Testament. As I proclaim to you all of the word of God. These are things that you have learned in me. They know things from Paul and from others even from Timothy and Epaphroditus, as we see in chapter 2 of Philippians. And they have meditated on these things with Paul. They've received them from Paul. They did not, he didn't neglect to give them to him, give them to them. He did not neglect to give these pure, just, holy things to them, but was careful to instruct them in Philippi while he was there with them, and careful to instruct them through his letters in what is right and true. He gave them carefully and generously. So these are things that they heard from his very lips. Things that they heard from Paul. More than that, Paul says that not only did they hear these things, but as he's calling them to do these things, he himself has done these things. He, say, he says that they are things that you have seen in me. So Paul is not asking them to do anything that he has not already done for them and giving them an example. And so there he can say in chapter 3, verse 17, imitate me. As he says elsewhere in some of his other other epistles, imitate me as I am an imitator of Christ. He's saying in your imitation of me, seek out these things and seek out Christ. Live in a godly manner. So they're things that are not foreign, but they've seen them in Paul. They've seen an example of what it looks like. And one of the things that if you look through and study Philippians, you see that they've not only seen this example in Paul, but they've seen this example in Timothy. They've seen this example in Epaphroditus. And so it's not a cookie cutter example of what these things look like. But there are general principles. 
This inclusive exclusivity as a scripture speaks to you, beloved, and teaches you how you are to live. It doesn't mean that we are to look exactly like Paul, or exactly like Timothy, or exactly like Epaphroditus, or exactly like the ministers. But it does mean that we are to think about, and even to practice, these things that are just, pure, and good. And notice there at the end of verse 9, I've already mentioned this and anticipated it, but Paul has said that in these things, as you are practicing these things and meditating on these things, the God of peace will be with you. In verse 7, he said the peace of God, which is a great truth that we have the peace of God, but here he has tied it to God's very character, that God is a God of peace. And this God of peace does not merely give you peace, but he is with you. As I said already, he's not saying if you think on these things and if you practice these things, then the God of peace will be with you. But the implication is that you can think on these things and you can practice these things because the God of peace is with you. That is the very principle on which these commands are given. Otherwise, we cannot keep them, beloved. We cannot keep the commands of God unless God is with us in keeping them. He is the only source of true peace, the only source of strength. And in all of life, he will be with the Philippians and he will be with you, beloved. In that section, verses 4 through 7, Paul urges them to lay their petitions before the Lord and to do so with thanksgiving. That when we are experiencing the trials and struggles of life, we lay those before the Lord and he hears our prayers and he's with us. So then, in thinking on these things, we, are, we have this common phrase that we use, that it's the thought that counts. Well, my question to you is, is it the thought that counts? Is Paul content to say merely, think on these things? Well, clearly, no, he's not. He's not content to say merely think on these things, but he urges us and commands us to practice these things. We are to do by grace that which he has commanded us to do. But our actions are going to be motivated by our thoughts and our desires. So it's important to recognize the order that he's given us these things, that we are thinking on these things first. How often do we think that we take up the charge and go and work for the sake of Christ and we are found to be working against the church? Against the very goals that we sought to promote because we did not meditate first to know what is true and just and pure. It's important to recognize the order that Paul is giving these things. We must be those who understand these things. We must be those of orthodoxy to understand what is true and pure and just and holy and honorable above excellence, worthy of praise. And yet it's not enough merely to be those of good orthodoxy. We must also be those of good orthopraxy. That we are thinking on these good things. So that we are ready to act on these good things. Consider what James says 
When we have a brother that comes to us and we say merely respond, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? If we know the truth, if we are able to meditate on good things but we are not ready to act on these good things, then we are not truly living the Christian life. Practice these things. So notice where Paul is directing them for proper behavior. As we live in a culture which is very much against the church, we live in a culture that seeks instruction from the world, the government, media, entertainment. Paul does not direct them for proper behavior to the culture that they live in, to Roman culture. There are honorable norms in Roman culture. There are honorable norms in Roman government. But that's not where Paul directs them. And that's not where I'm directing you, beloved. Don't go to your peers in the world and say, what is honorable? What is pure? Can you teach me? I'm a Christian and I want to live a pure and just and holy life. Do I live the holy life by your standard? That's not what Paul is telling us to do. So don't misinterpret that. Paul is directing them back to the word of God, that they would know what is holy and just and pure. And by that standard, they would live holy, just and pure lives in the world. They look to the word of God that's given to them, not only in Paul's writings, but also in Paul's example. And also notice that this is not done As I've said already, it's not done through the strength of the Philippians. They are not working and practicing these things by their own strength. They're not pulling themselves up by their bootstraps and and just living like Paul did. But they're reliant upon the peace of God and the God of peace who is there with them. And when Paul tells them that the God of peace is with you, that is a reminder that he is always present to call out to him. If we do not know what is just or right or pure, we can look to God of peace there with us. He's not given us instruction and sent us out into the world to live without standing by us, but he is there imminently with us, ready to stand with us and encourage us and to guide us where necessary. In Philippians, sorry, in uh, Hebrews 12, it would even instruct us that this God of peace would chastise us. And discipline us if we are not living holy and pure lives. So it is encouragement that God is there with us. This God of peace stands by us in all of life which is not pure, which is not honorable. There are, it is not excellent or worthy of praise. God is yet with us. And we are doing it by his strength, living for Christ by the strength of Christ. And as I've already said, that Paul is not giving here a conditional. Paul is not saying, if you do these things, the God of peace will be with you. But a reminder to them that as they are living, this God of peace is with you. And that is both a comfort and a warning. But even that warning of discipline in, in straying from things that are honorable or pure or just, 
to comfort, to know that he will discipline us and bring us back. Because we have these things in Christ Jesus, and God is with us in life. So he is standing there with us in the difficulties of life, in the joys of life, in the trials of life. He is the one that enables us to fulfill these things and fulfill the calling and charge that is set before us. In the previous section there in verse 5, Paul has said that the Lord is at hand. And that's what he has elaborated on here and told us. It's something that we can only do in the Lord by prayer and supplication. That we are laying hold of these truths, trusting that he will stand with us. And laying hold of the benefits of our union with Christ in order to trust him and obey him. Trust that he stands with us in life and obey what he's instructed us to do here. The commands that we have here in the Lord. To think, to meditate, and also to practice. So indeed, here, Paul is telling us that we have in all of life peace from the very God of peace. May this be a blessing to you, beloved, as you go out this week. As I close, meditate on these things. Think on these things that you have the truths of God with you. And this is what enables us then to think and to practice these things. Now let us close with this final hymn this evening, hymn number 70. Trust and Obey. Obey.